Hello, my name is Dr. Benjamin Abella. I am a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm also the director of the Penn TTM Academy, or Penn Targeted Temperature Management Academy. The Penn TTM Academy is a group devoted to education and research on cardiac rest and post-arrest care, including projects that pertain to the use of targeted temperature management to improve brain function and survival following cardiac arrest. In today's podcast, we will be discussing an important uh, hot-off-the-press research article on oxygenation targets and critical illness, and we'll be exploring how this may or may not impact our thinking around oxygenation in post-cardiac arrest care. The paper published this month in New England Journal of Medicine is entitled Lower or Higher Oxygenation Targets for Acute Hypoxemic Respiratory Failure, and it's led by an author, O.L. Schering, S-C-H-J-O-R-R-I-N-G, a Scandinavian author, and um, this work was conducted by a consortium of research groups across Scandinavia and Europe paper was published in January 2021, and it's an important paper that continues the examination of just what we should be doing with oxygen and FiO2 uh, in critical illness. And this has been a question for quite some time. Some of you who are familiar with our podcast know that we covered this briefly in um, podcast number eight, where we talked about oxygenation specifically following cardiac arrest. But the topic of oxygenation and critical illness uh, has gone through a lot of ups and downs over the years. It's it's an important question because it's a simple thing that is under our control. That is to say, we can adjust FiO2 or the fraction of inspired oxygen for intubated patients in the ICU. And by doing so, we may be able to affect their outcome. And so if we can show that higher or lower oxygenation targets, and specifically targets of the partial pressure of arterial oxygen, or PaO2, if um, specific targets can improve or worsen outcomes, we ought to know about it, and we should be able to then apply that in our practice. Now, there are reasons why we might think that higher or lower oxygen might be good or bad. I think the general premise over many years has been that oxygen is a good thing, right? We we give oxygen to people who are sick, uh, we breathe oxygen. So there's this been this general presumption based on very little science that um, when some oxygen is good, more oxygen might be better. Now it's important to remember that atmospheric oxygen is 21% at least at sea level in most places, and so. Going above that is super therapeutic, and in those situations, we really need to recognize that oxygen is a drug. It's a pharmacologic agent that has its effects. It happens to be a gaseous agent, but it's pharmacologic nonetheless. And so it's not necessarily obvious that giving more oxygen than evolution has engineered us for will be good for a given illness and specifically for very sensitive critical illnesses. And studies have looked at this retrospectively and they found a variety of results, uh, results spanning from extra oxygen is really bad to extra oxygen is, is neutral to extra oxygen may be good in some situations. But like all retrospective studies, there are enormous amounts of confounders, um, depends on what other care is going on. Um, oxygenation may actually, oxygen targets may actually be a marker, a surrogate marker for quality of care and other aspects of care. So it's really hard to tease out the, the truth um, from retrospective studies on this topic. Because after all, in ICUs all around the world, 
patients are uh, intubated and they're put on an FiO2 and a medical team makes a decision about that FiO2 based on the patient's condition. And so they're not doing it in a vacuum. It's not a randomized trial. Well, in cardiac arrest specifically, this has also been looked at, and a number of retrospective studies, including some that I was have been involved in, full disclosure, have suggested that very high degrees of PaO2 may be very bad for brain outcomes and survival following cardiac arrest. Now, why would that be the case? Well, it's important to know that ischemia reperfusion injury, which is what you have in cardiac arrest, the loss of blood flow, and then the sudden return of blood flow leads to a number of bad effects, including inflammatory effects, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, and other problems. And part of this involves the generation of free radicals, oxygen-free radicals, for which molecular oxygen, O2, is the fuel. So there's a very good uh, mechanistic reason why extra oxygen might be bad. It might be the case that when we give extra oxygen to a post-arrest patient, someone who's been ischemic and then reperfused, we're basically throwing gasoline on a fire. And we might increase oxygen radicals, we might worsen mitochondrial dysfunction, cellular death, and other problems. So it's a valid question whether we should worry about oxygen, and a number of protocols for post-cardiac arrest care around the world have suggested that one should down-titrate FiO2 as one can to maintain oxygen saturations above a certain level. Who knows what that certain level should be? Many protocols say you should keep your oxygen saturation, pulse ox, over, say, 92 or 93%, and if you're doing that, you're fine, and you should go down on the FiO2 to, to have the lowest extra oxygen that still yields you an appropriate oxygen saturation. Now, that all sounds very reasonable. The question is, does it really matter? Well, in this study, they asked it more broadly because the same question exists in acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. This is a broad uh, critical illness, um, pulmonary dysfunction, that actually occurs as a secondary uh, sequela from a number of conditions. So it's not really a specific disease per se, but rather a condition that is an endpoint of, say, sepsis or pneumonia or other conditions as well. And so for acute hypoxemic respiratory failure, even though it's not an ischemia reperfusion injury, there has been a understanding that extraction might actually lead to pulmonary cellular toxicity. So it may not be so much a reperfusion problem with gasoline on a fire, but extraction may hurt the biology of uh, pulmonary tissues and may worsen pulmonary injury as well. So the theory was for some time that maybe by going to lower oxygen targets, lower FiO2s, and lower targets for PaO2, one could um, improve outcomes from respiratory failure. And that's indeed what these authors sought to test. And specifically, they randomized patients who had respiratory failure, acute hypoxemic respiratory failure, which is one of several forms, but, but our focus today will not be on the biology of respiratory failure, so I'm going to move past that point. And they enrolled patients who had been admitted to the ICU with respiratory failure, and we're going to end up for some time on a ventilator, and they randomized them to what they called a quote-unquote low and high PO2 targets. Low was 60 millimeters of mercury, high was 90 millimeters of mercury. 
Now, I don't know, as an emergency doc who, um, you know, when I intubate folks, we typically uh, often have people on high FiO2s initially, uh, a target of 90 sounds actually relatively modest, but but in this study, they called that high. And certainly for days and days in the ICU, um, there are very different uh, parameters for what's high and low compared to just for the first few hours in the ER. So uh, I'll accept that. Um, so they randomized to these two groups, and then they looked at outcomes over a period of time. Uh, and these patients often were intubated for weeks weeks. And so they could be uh, basically kept in their allotted randomization groups for days and days and days, which is great. It means the patients were truly exposed uh, uh, to one or two of the other strategies uh, and not for a short period of time. And so they randomized patients in a one-to-one ratio. Uh, So uh, equal uh, numbers of patients were put in these 60 or 90 millimeter groups. And uh, patients were randomized if they um, had less than 12 hours uh, from ICU arrival. So say a patient was only uh, approached or a patient's family was only approached, say at 24 hours after ICU arrival, they were not considered for the study. They had to be there for uh, 12 hours or less. So they really wanted to get in early. Now, one could argue whether less than 12 hours is early. These patients may have spent a few hours in the emergency room if that's where they came from or on the floor getting high oxygen. But be that as it may, um, they did get to folks relatively early. Now, I'll get through some of the boring uh, stuff. The, the patient groups were well randomized. So about 1,400, uh, well, specifically 1,462 were randomized to the lower oxygen group and 1,466 to the higher, so pretty equal groups. And um, they were well randomized, age, gender, uh, uh, clinical factors like vasopressor use, initial lactates, uh, comorbidity distributions. Uh, you can certainly look at the paper, and I'll include the link in the show notes, but I'll just tell you that both groups were pretty well apportioned. So I think the randomization was appropriate. So it was a fair comparison between the two groups. Now, all of these patients had acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. They did not necessarily have ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. The two are different conditions for my cardiac rest and ER colleagues. It's important to remember they're different conditions. You can have respiratory failure with or without ARDS. Um, Many did not have that. Just wanted to make that note. Now, most of the patients who were included had either pneumonia, so uh, about uh, 57% of the patients had pneumonia as the underlying etiology of respiratory failure. Um, another 10% had ARDS. And interestingly, and relevant for our podcast listeners who are into cardiac arrest as a disease entity, about one-tenth of the patients, about 10%, um, were cardiac arrest patients. Now, these weren't just cardiac rest patients. These were cardiac rest patients who then went on to develop hypoxemic respiratory failure as well. So, so this isn't a, you know, many cardiac rest patients don't really have respiratory failure. They're just intubated um, due to neurologic status. So, so this is a subset of arrest patients. Now, the, the median PaO2 at baseline was 77 in, in these groups, and they were then randomized to 60 or 90, and outcomes were evaluated. Now, what's interesting to note is that there was essentially no difference between the groups that were randomized to 60 or 90. So 42.9% in the lower oxygenation group and 42.4% in the higher oxygenation group had died. 
So um, essentially the exact same uh, rate of death, or, or I should say prevalence of death in both groups. So there was no significant difference. And there was a variety of um, sub-analyses to get further into this. And again, I will gloss that over. You can certainly read the paper. Um, and they also looked at a percentage of patients who had other secondary sequelae. So for example, they looked at intestinal ischemia. It turns out in a prior study uh, that randomized patients to lower or higher oxygenation targets, it was stopped early because the lower group had more episodes of mesenteric ischemia, which of course is a bad thing. And, and so they thought that was important to look at and they saw no differences. So basically in this study, 60 or 90 millimeters of mercury, both equal and equivalent uh, targets for oxygenation in the ICU, um, and and they had the same benefits, same risk of death, same risk of side effects, and so forth. So this was interesting um, for a number of reasons. One of which is it did conflict with the prior LOCO two study. This was a randomized trial that was stopped um, due to a suggestion of increased harm with the lower oxygenation group. So um, this. The study authors conclude in this study that it's equivalent and you could do lower oxygenation if you wanted, you could do higher if you wanted, but there's not a lot of difference and, and, and there's no danger with other, either. Well, for those of you who practice critical care or um, in the ED manage critically ill patients, it, it's good to know that you have some flexibility here and depending on specific situations, a higher low target really doesn't seem to make too much difference, at least for patients who are intubated for respiratory failure. Now, let's turn to cardiac arrest, because after all, cardiac arrest is, is one of the main foci of this podcast and probably why many of you are listening. And many of you may be wondering, well, gosh, um, we thought that dialing down FiO2 was important for outcomes. And here's a study showing that high or low targets are the same. So maybe it doesn't matter. You might be right to ask that, but remember, the high target in this study was 90 millimeters of mercury. For initial care in cardiac arrest, that ain't high. That's pretty low. And to back up my bold statement there, if you look at prior studies on this topic, Kilgannon et al., and I'll include these links in the show notes, by the way, in their uh, important JAMA paper on hyperoxia and cardiac arrest, and then the work by Brian Roberts in circulation more recently that I was also involved in, these studies found a fairly high rate of significant hyperoxia in the hours following cardiac arrest, much higher than 90. Said another way, don't let this current critical care paper be misapplied to the cardiac arrest population. In the Roberts and Kilgannon study, many patients, as high as 30 to 40% in the Robert study, 18% in the Kilgannon study, of patients had a PaO2 above 300. They had true hyperoxia, as defined by the studies, above 300. So these are patients, and you can imagine the clinical scenario, these are patients who roll into the ER, they get intubated, they get put on an FiO2 of 1.0, and then they get sort of forgotten about for a few hours. Not that the patients get forgotten about, but that the vent settings get forgotten about. You know, they're putting in a line, they're getting a head CT, and in all the actions of the post-cardiac arrest care, the vent is ignored because SATs are 100% and the vent seems to be fine and no alarms are going off. And so patients are allowed to happily sit in this hyperoxic soup. And so PaO2 
very commonly, at least in the two studies that that I just cited that looked at it, but others as well, PO2 tends to be really high for at least several hours following resuscitation from cardiac arrest. And that's just what we do. That's just actual practice. Is it good? Is it bad? Well, there's suggestions it may be bad if you look at the Roberts study and some other works. But to be fair, other studies have shown that it may not matter as much. We really still don't know because we haven't had a proper randomized trial of high versus low oxygen specifically for intubated cardiac arrest patients. That's a study we need. And indeed, there's one study underway. Uh, Janet Bray and colleagues in Australia are doing this in the exact trial, which is um, starting in the ambulance. And so they're randomized patients in, in the pre-hospital setting to higher low oxygen, which is a really challenging study to do. So I applaud their bravery for trying to pull that off. But I understand why they're doing it. The, the insult from hyperoxia following arrest may be really early. So it may really matter in that first hour or first few hours what kind of oxygen you're getting. And so I would counsel all of you out there who are involved in the care of cardiac arrest patients to know that this current study does not change the general framework. It seems still very reasonable to dial down the FiO2 whenever possible, whenever safe to do so, and I might add, on a fairly rapid time scale, on the order of hours, after initial resuscitation from cardiac arrest, as long as the SATs are high. And here's why. It might help, and it probably won't hurt. Now, why do I say it probably won't hurt? Remember, most cardiac arrest patients had a circulatory problem. They had a problem with their heart or um, some other reason why they rested that may not be because of their lungs. If a patient has normal lungs and they didn't actually have a massive PE causing their arrest, they're fine with dialing down the oxygen. They don't need a lot of supplemental oxygen, and that's important to keep in mind. You'll know, of course, because the minute you start trying to dial down the oxygen, if their SATs fall or hemodynamics change, you know you have a problem. But in many cardiac arrest victims, at least in our experience and that of others, you can safely get the FiO2 down to 40% within a few hours following arrest if you're paying attention to it and the SATs are fine and the patient suffers no adverse consequences. Now, it's probably not harmful, but is it helpful? That we still don't know. And it's really important to remember the current study, while important to help ICU teams think through their oxygenation strategies, it really doesn't help us for the broader population of post-arrest patients. We still need studies to be done looking at randomization, prospective randomized trials to be done that look at randomization to high and low oxygen targets. And like all randomized trials, the control group is important, or I should say in this case, the high group is important. Randomized trials look for an effect size between two groups. So each group you pick matters. And if in actual practice, many patients are getting PAO2s of 200, 250, 300 for a few hours. Randomizing to 60 versus 90 doesn't answer the question we want to answer. We want to know whether what we're doing in current practice matters. So I would suggest we need a randomized trial, maybe randomizing to 100 versus 200 or uh, 60 versus 200 or something along those lines where we actually sort of test standard of care in a protocolized fashion versus lower oxygenation targets. So this is, uh, of course, something that we'll need to do in future work, but I think it highlights the point that we have to think of oxygen as a drug. 
its action is not always benign and it requires further study. You know, I'm, I'm always um, uh, heralded back to a study, a very brave Australian study done some years ago in the myocardial infarction population where they randomized a high and low oxygen and they found that giving room error to heart attack patients resulted in smaller infarct sizes. And I'll include the citation to that work in the show notes as well. And so, um, you know, it's it's very plausible that following cardiac arrest lower oxygen may be beneficial. We need these studies and we need to learn more. It also shows that it's easy to forget about the ventilator when we're dealing with all the craziness of care following cardiac arrest, but we mustn't forget about it. We have to think about all of these things. And so you want to have a good relationship with your respiratory therapists. And, and I think if you're managing a post-arrest patient in the ED or ICU, you really want to include the ventilator settings and ventilatory management on sort of an every hour, every few hours uh, sort of rounding list of, okay, let's re-look re at the vent settings. Have we gotten an ABG or VBG? Do we have a sense of the patient's respiratory status? So with that, those are some thoughts on this new paper um, that uh, uh, was done in Europe and uh, Scandinavia. And uh, uh, the, they do have in their supplemental data, by the way, uh, the cardiac arrest population that was randomized to 60 or 90. And no surprise for the patients who had respiratory failure um, and ended up in ICU with cardiac arrest, 60 or 90 made no, no difference in outcomes. However, what we don't know is whether those arrest patients were already exposed to much higher oxygen in the few hours before they got to the ICU. And maybe the damage was done. So, so maybe the study sort of missed the opportunity to see an effect size difference in the cardiac arrest patients. Well, hopefully you found this analysis helpful um, on this paper. And once again, this is uh, in New England Journal of Medicine 2021, published just uh, last week by O.L. Shoring et al., and certainly you can contact me if you have questions on this and stay tuned for future podcasts. I also would point out that the Penn TTM Academy will be hosting our next course, our next workshop on post-cardiac rest care, a practical course will be done via video conference on Friday, March 19th. So visit our website and check it out. Uh, the last iteration in the fall was great. We had 120 people, lively discussion, lots of interest. And so hopefully we will once again convene uh, this workshop to try to help everyone improve their care following cardiac rest. So uh, with that, thank you very much and stay tuned for future podcasts.